Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When a friend of mine read my sermon title, Nets and Knuckleheads, he facetiously asked if I was giving a nod to the ESPN sports talk program, pardon the interruption, and Michael Wilbon's line, same time tomorrow, knuckleheads. And my friend was teasing because he well understands that I, unlike Sandy Prouty, know nothing about sports talk. And it would show tremendous reach for me, though, if, uh, if I did, uh, if I was making a nod to it. Maybe just coming up with a good title is half the work of writing a good enough sermon, so we'll see. I simply thought knuckleheads was a fitting way to describe the four fishermen-turned-disciples. This is the first of many stories in Mark's gospel that illustrates the impulsiveness and the in word and deed of the disciples. The picture that Mark paints of them throughout the gospel is often comedic. As Tim Beale says, the disciples can be so foolish, they're better referred to as the disciples. That's his joke, that's good. Tim's my husband, in case some of you think I'm slamming on someone I don't know. Jesus' ministry begins with two sets of brothers, Andrew and Simon, James and John, all of them fishing at the shore of Galilee, a lake about 12 miles long and 8 miles at its uh, widest point. Jesus has returned to Galilee from Jerusalem after the arrest of his cousin John. Now, coming upon Simon and Andrew, who are actively casting their nets into the sea, Jesus invites them, follow me. And he adds, he will teach them how to expand their fishing skills to include fishing for people. And immediately, they leave their nets and follow him. Now, Mark's pace throughout the gospel is very quick. He likes the term immediately. Things move quickly with Mark. But there was something so compelling about Jesus that they had to respond with immediacy. So the next two fishermen down the way are in their boat mending their nets, James and John, sons of Zebedee. And they receive the same call from Jesus, and their response is the same. They leave their livelihood their father, and their mates in the boat, and immediately follow him. Now, we haven't a clue what the four fishermen know about Jesus at this point. Is he a stranger to them, or have they seen him around the local watering holes where fishermen hang out? What makes Jesus so captivating and compelling that they give up everything to be with him? The men launch themselves out of their boat and away from their nets. Don't be fooled by their zeal, though. These are the same men who later in the gospel will doubt, deny, 
and abandon Jesus. They are not the spiritual giants they appear to be. They, uh, uh, they prove to be knuckleheads, bless their hearts, just like the rest of us. The writer Barbara Brown Taylor so aptly puts it, Mark's account is a miracle story. Jesus calls and the four fishermen follow. No reluctance, no requests. This is not a story about us, Taylor writes. It is a story about God and about God's ability not only to call us, but also to create us as a people who are able to follow. Able to follow because we cannot take our eyes off the one who calls us. Because he interests us more than anything else in our lives. Jesus called James, John, Andrew, and Peter and eight more ordinary guys and formed them into a people. A people who grew from 12 into a movement called the way. The way became the living body of Christ in the world. Jesus formed them into a people who became the hands and feet of Christ working to renew and repair and recreate the world with God's love. And God keeps calling. God keeps calling ordinary people like you and me in unexpected ways and in surprising moments. Have you ever felt that deep yearning or an experience of God's presence that was unexplainable, that made utterly no sense to you, let alone others. People questioned you, doubted you, maybe tried to talk you out of it, but you could only hear the deep voice within you, and you knew what you had to do. Annie Dillard, in her collection of essays entitled Teaching a Stone to Talk, writes about calling in her poetic fashion. She says, we can live any way we want. People take vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, even of silence, by choice. The thing is to stock your calling in a certain skilled and supple way to locate the most tender and live spot and plug into that pulse. This is yielding, she says, not fighting. Discernment is the act of stalking one's calling. Stalking one's calling is about listening for grace, grace that is relentlessly stalking us. Grace that is pulsing and humming inside of us. And we must open ourselves to hear its rhythm and to yield to its movement. The writer Anne Lamott describes her conversion experience as God stalking her like an alley cat of heaven. She says in her autobiography, Traveling Mercies, Everywhere I went... I had the feeling that a little cat was following me, wanting me to reach down and pick it up, wanting me to open the door and let it in. But I knew what would happen. You let a cat in one time, 
give it a little milk, and then it stays forever. So I tried to keep one step ahead of it, slamming my houseboat door when I entered or left. And at a particularly desperate time, after a profound spiritual experience in a church, she says, I raced home and felt the little cat running along at my heels, and I walked down the dock past dozens of potted flowers under a sky as blue as one of God's own dreams, and I opened the door to my houseboat, and I stood there a minute, and then I hung my head and said, I quit. I took a long breath and said out loud, all right, you can come in. Anne Lamott dropped her nets and surrendered to grace. And we're all invited to surrender to grace. In fact, there might be a point when we also unexplainably and immediately know we must drop our nets and follow its voice just as the fishermen did. There will probably be people who don't get what we're doing when we make a change nor understand why we're doing it because our call might not be their call. And people are not fond of change. Zebedee, the dad of John and James, must have shouted as he saw the backs of his sons moving away, you, knuckleheads, what are you thinking? We have, no, we have nets to mend. We have families to feed. And I just imagine that the Passover dinner the next year must have been really tense. Now, what might we take from this account of history-changing calls, calls on the lives of these four fishermen? Most importantly, Jesus called fishermen and didn't expect them to act like physicians. He called fishermen and knew he had to work with the material he had. And Jesus said, come, bring who you are and what you know and follow me. And in the same way, he sees us too, all of us, all that we offer. To the bridge builder, maybe Jesus says, follow me and build my people. To the artist, follow me and paint the colors of the kingdom. To the writer, follow me and write the words of good news to a world in need of good news. To the stay-at-home parent, follow me and nurture my children. To the dancer, follow me and dance the spirit. To the physician, follow me and heal the hurting. Follow me. Bring who you are. The source of your call and mine is God the one who instills in each of us gifts, passions, skills, and these all work together to empower our lives with meaning and direction. And knit together, though our gifts are different, we are like the human body, the Apostle Paul said. Though many parts, we work as a whole for the health of the body. And healthy congregations are ones that are committed to empowering all people to explore their unique calls 
for the service to the world. Today, and for the past 2,000 years, God's call to specific individuals into ordained ministry has been mediated by the people of God. It is the community that invites and sets apart persons to serve in particular ways according to their gifts. And all together, they lead the church into what God calls her to become. So the annual Presbyterian service of ordination and installation is a public witness to the calling of these ordinary people to servant leadership. And this tangible ritual that we'll be doing soon, this ordaining and installing officers, elders, and deacons, will take place here. And many of you have experienced this symbolic action, this powerful action. The ritual of the laying on on of hands upon the shoulders of those being ordained stretches back to the first apostles in the early church. The web of hands settling across shoulder after shoulder witnesses to Jesus who continues to call who continues to ask us to follow. It is a peculiar thing we do and a peculiar language we speak. And we don't expect others to always understand it. The fisherman's story is a story of God's gentle power, not only to call us, but also to form us into a people who are able to follow able to follow because we cannot take our eyes off the one who calls. See for yourself, God is on the move. God is on the move at Montview Church. God keeps calling ordinary folks to lead. May we be open to the future God has for us. Amen.